first day of the week, in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Well, thank John and Jessica for that uh, wonderful word to us. John, do all Top Gun pilots look like you came out of Hollywood Central Casting? Is that just a coincidence or part of the application process? I don't know. Oh, I want to say a special welcome to all of the Chinese graduate students. I'd like to give you my full command of Mandarin right now. Ni hao. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to ask me, ask Eva, and she'll tell me in English. I want to introduce you to a very special guest today who worshiped with us before being deployed in Afghanistan in September. Uh, and he comes back today for the first time since then via Walter Reed Hospital. I want to introduce you to uh, Lieutenant James Byler. Dakota to that, that after they finally saw Jesus, can you imagine all the of those women were like, 
You women know what I'm talking about. This is very familiar territory for you. And then Peter, looking into the tomb, and seeing it's as if there was a body there, but now the body's not there, but everything that was wrapped around the body was still there in its proper place. And he walked away wondering. And so this is a day that we want to somehow convince skeptics and inspire saints. We want to make it simple, but not simplistic, because this is an incredibly complex story, is it not? I mean, nothing like this has ever happened before. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. And so we want to make it simple. Here's what it is. It's an empty tomb. And we ask the question, well, where was Jesus? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? Therefore, the best thing I can do is simply point you to Jesus. Just simply say, here he is. Now, I'm not the first person to do that. The first person publicly to do that was John Baptist. He saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the per- first public figure to ever really acknowledge Jesus and say, Look at it, was Pontius Pilate. If you remember that. Pontius Pilate, the governor in Israel, the Roman representative, the most powerful man in the land on behalf of Rome, introduces Jesus in a way that mocks him. The intent was to mock him, to denigrate him. But paradoxically and ironically, Pilate shows us who he is. He had the soldiers bring out Jesus in a crown of thorns, because after all, he's supposed to be a king, right? Let's make everybody real clear on what kind of king he is. There's no king but Caesar. He puts a purple robe on him, showing his assumed royalty. Look at him. Here is your king. In fact, the famous words, the Latin version of the words, ecce homo, behold the man. Here he is. What do you think? Take a good look at Jesus. And yet, in that mocking, defiant tone, he shows us who Jesus is. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is a king, and you are the one for whom he left his kingdom to be. I hope that humbles you and inspires you, as it humbles and inspires me. To think that this king left his kingdom to come for me and you. He knows you better than anyone knows you. Somebody came up to me last week after church name, we were referring to a friend we have in common, he said, I know him better than anyone. And humanly speaking, it's probably true he does, but all I can think was, you know what, you don't know him like God knows him. You know what, he loves us more than anyone who has ever loved us has loved us. I hope you are well loved, I hope you are surrounded by a wonderful family, fantastic friends. I hope you are well loved, that you feel that love coming your way every day. But I can tell you something. Jesus loves you more than anyone who's ever loved you. And in spite of knowing you, and because He knows you, He loves you. He's wild about you. You bring delight to Him when He thinks of you. And of course, you broke His heart too. Because He saw how much you needed Him and didn't even know it. 
Yeah, I was one of those skeptics uh, in high school, uh, surfing off of Pleasure Point, Santa Cruz, seeing this dumb graffiti on a wall saying, Jesus surfs, and then getting out of the water and having guys come up to you trying to tell me about Jesus. I thought it was so annoying, so socially inappropriate. Plus, I had no idea what they were talking about. I'd gone to Catholic school as a kid. I, I did a Protestant church dropout as a kid. And these guys were coming up to me and trying to tell me about Jesus. And so I picked up a New Testament, a very simple English translation. One of my brother's coaches had given him, everybody on the team, this really good idea, right? Gave all the kids on the team a pocket New Testament. There's the only Bible in our house. And so I picked it up just to read it so I could tell these guys. And I opened that book. It's like Jesus reached out and pulled me in. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I kept thinking, why has nobody ever told me about this? I had no idea this is what Jesus was like. In my skepticism, and I probably share this with most atheists or agnostics as well, we're skeptical about someone we don't even know. Why? Because we're skeptical about all the stuff that surrounds them, perhaps. By all the people who put graffiti on the wall of our lives, or buggers when we're trying to otherwise have a great time. Because I read... That Bible, I worked through those four stories. I had no idea what a gospel was. I didn't know who Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Manny, and Jack, uh, Curly, Larry, Mo. I didn't know any. I didn't know about any of this. I just started reading this, and it was so amazing to be drawn close to the heart of God in Jesus. I really had no category for it. I'd already rejected religion, and all the people I knew who were religious had no clue about Jesus either. It was like cultural wallpaper for them. It's not a judgment, just an observation. As they got to know him, a profound thing happened. In fact, I want to tell you a story. Uh, the late Art Linkletter, do you remember Art Linkletter? He was on TV forever. I think he was on TV before TV was invented. I mean, he was on TV forever. And uh, even in his 80s, he was entertaining people, and he was just an absolutely engaging person. Had come from rags to riches and just loved to give his, his good humor and wonderful presence away to people. And he loved particularly visiting convalescent hospitals because he was healthier and happier than he thought everybody there. And so he would love walking in. And of course, that generation all knew him and, and thought he was fantastic. On one occasion, he loved to tell this story. He walked into a convalescent hospital and he walked up to a dear little lady um, who looked a little lost and uh, a little confused. And he said, Hello, do you know who I am? Knowing full well, of course, she would say, Oh, it's Art Linkletter. And she says sweetly, No, I don't. But if you go to the front desk, I'm sure they can tell you who you are. (laughs) (laughs) It was a little deflating. But think about it. God knows who you are. He knows who I am. He knows my name. He knows what I need. He knows your name. He knows what you need. He knows your dreams. He knows your heartaches and heartbreaks. He knows your deepest aspirations. He knows what you yearn for. He knows what gets you up early and keeps you up late. And Easter is a personal invitation from God with your name on it saying, Follow me. Walk with me. As we look close at Jesus, not only do we discover and come to understand who He is, we start to understand who we are. It's like our eyes were opened for the first time. 
all love that we thought we were loving for the fullest capacity, all of a sudden is so small. Given the new capacity He gives us, which is to love ourselves, to love God, and to love others in His name. And so we recognize and celebrate Easter as the greatest event in human history. We mark our calendars right. It's not a myth. It's not magic. Easter is a category of its own. A category of one. Jesus, the Son of God. King, Savior of the world. It's history written large. It's God-sized history. It's His story. And He lets us in on His story. We would not otherwise know His story, but for Him revealing it to us. We guess at it. We wonder about it. How did the universe come into being? What is the purpose of life? Where does it go? Is death the end of the story? It's his story. And he tells us all about it. And we find that Easter doesn't demean our intelligence. It's not a story for dull people who otherwise don't have a life. Who have given up trying to understand life and they just throw up their hands in resignation and say, fine, I'll believe this. Rather, it demands more intelligence than any of us possess without God's help. And that incredible capacity for curiosity that God has put in us. Our desire to ask questions about who we are, about our family, about the world in which we live. We find that He starts to open up doors and windows. And in this journey of walking with Him and following Him, the and fullness of life, we start to see the world more beautiful, more broken. More inspiring, more in need of redemption. And after all, who on earth understands the ways of God but for God revealing His ways to us? Isaiah said it this way My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Ecclesiastes, that Old Testament cardinal, says it this way He has set eternity in our hearts, yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. But thank God, He wants to teach us His ways. He wants us to think His thoughts after Him. He wants to make us smarter than we could ever be on our own efforts and by our own merits. And so Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has come into the world to restore it, to redeem it. It was created through Him. It will come back together through Him. A new heaven, a new earth. New creations in Christ. Because He came looking for us, He has inspired greater writing, more heroic acts, more love and sacrifice than any other human being who has walked the earth. That's not hyperbole. That's simple fact. And sadly, his name has also been used as a cover for great mischief and horrible mayhem. But even evil done in the name of Jesus doesn't diminish Jesus. It simply reinforces our absolute need for his absolute grace. It underlines our absolute need for what he offers us. Because we are lost without him. We are spiritual orphans, wandering in this world saying, do I have a father? So Jesus came to save people who are imperfect and who are willing to admit it. 
who are willing to say, you know, I've given it my best, but my best isn't good enough. And we find that Jesus isn't surprised by our sin. He confronts it at its source. The dividing line between good and evil does not run through kingdoms, but runs through the human heart. And so he reaches into the very heart of us, and he pulls us out of the pit and brings us into the light. Highly accomplished, and yet 
For all that, he was lost. We are lost. Jesus came to seek and to save us, who in spite of all our best intentions and our valiant efforts, are lost apart from him. So the cross commemorates the daring, divine rescue of Rishi. And James Byler earned a purple heart for his valorous service. Jesus Christ earned a purple heart for his. He came into this world to lift us up, and he then commissions us in turn to join him in lifting up our world. And so Jesus' death and resurrection show God's unequivocal commitment to us. This wasn't easy, it wasn't convenient. It wasn't, I just happened to be in the world and I may as well do this while I'm here. It was an unequivocal, intentional commitment to us. And there was no obstacle he wouldn't overcome to save us. We matter to him. And now he matters to us. And people matter to us in his name. We see people now through his eyes. Through his heart. Because our hearts beat with him as we come into relationship with him by faith. And Easter then shows us what Jesus is like. He overcame death itself and was revealed as Savior and Lord. What Pilate mocked, God has revealed to us. And 2,000 years later, we're still trying to take it all in and understand it. We're still wondering, what does it mean? What do we do with it? What are the implications for me, or I live? And this was the disciples' staggering realization. Jesus, with whom they had walked for three years, taken from them, and now gone. But when they finally understood, they went out and told anyone and everyone who would listen. They were willing to put themselves at great risk. They were willing to risk social approbation and rejection. They called it good news, and it's still good news if you believe it. People are still moved. They're still motivated to do everything in their power to say, I've got to tell you the reason for the hope that is within me. I want to do it with all gentleness and respect, but if I don't tell you, I'll burst. If I don't tell you, the stones around me will cry out what I've come to understand about the living God who now lives in me. And for those who believe it and receive it, it is the power of God for salvation to bring us into right relationship with Him. That we are now beloved sons and daughters, no longer spiritual orphans. It transcends cultural boundaries, every possible socioeconomic category. It's for all people, at all times, in all places. Everything in the Bible is written so that we might believe in Jesus and have life through Him. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. So the God who created us is the same God who came into the world to save us so that we could be in this relationship with Him. That we could say yes to Him. That like Jesus we could say, Abba, Father, Daddy. That we could know His embrace. 
if we can know the fellowship of his people, this community of faith. This is not a people-centered community that invites Jesus to show up. This is a Christ-centered community, and Jesus invites us to show up, to come into relationship with him and with one another through him. And because this is true, God is bigger than anything and everything that we will ever face in life. He's bigger than death or disease. He's bigger than our sins and regrets. He's bigger than our fears and our failures. He's bigger than our disappointments and frustrations. He's bigger than our loneliness. He's bigger than our concerns for loved ones, our hopes and dreams and plans. He's even bigger than our success. He's the one and only Savior and Lord of this world, and He is calling out to each one of us. And you might be sitting here saying, yeah, but I'm an atheist. He calls atheists. Get it? Well, I'm an agnostic. Yeah, he called, he, he called agnostics. Well, you know, I've been burned. I've been hurt. I, you know, I've had some bad things happen to religious people. Yeah, he died for them too. No category is excluded. All are welcome in the name of Jesus by His grace. And everything important in this life and in the next depends on our decision to follow Him. Because Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. We can't outgrow Him, and we can't grow without Him. So my hope, my prayer for us is that this year, like never before, we will grow strong in Him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will learn to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. That we would grow in knowledge and wisdom. That we would take all those things that He's put in our hands and we'd say, Lord, how do you want me to use them to honor you and to bless people? He will lead us into places that we never thought possible to go. We'll do things that we never thought we had the courage to do. He doesn't call us to an easy life. He calls us to the best life. Yes, it's a life that includes sometimes suffering and sacrifice, but I tell you what, it's a life defined by joy. He calls us into a culture, not a religion, but a culture of transformation in Him. So how will we grow strong in Him? Well, I'll tell you what, it's by beholding Him, by believing in Him, by belonging to Him, by behaving like it's true, and becoming the people He created us to be. All this, all this is possible because Christ is risen. And Christ is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that is a fact. That that's the firm foundation on which we stand. That we too will rise because you have risen. So we thank you and praise you. We give you all honor and glory and praise in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. In a moment,